You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Bit of an appropriate song for what I'm going to be talking about here. You get what you give, right? That's what they say. You get what you give. With Justin Trudeau, you get what you take. Mentioned this a little bit on the air yesterday. And I can tell you this story is burning up at the Rebel right now. Justin Trudeau is taking today off while he's in Japan so that he can have a moment with his wife. I think I think that's how he described it. We've been working extremely hard uh, today uh, and uh, we'll be at the G7 meetings uh, on Thursday and Friday. Uh, and uh, in, the, in the middle of all this, uh, I am taking a moment to uh, uh, celebrate on uh, personal funds, uh, my wedding anniversary with my wife. A moment? A moment? It's not a freaking moment. It's a whole day today plus last night. That's not a freaking moment. And people say I have a hard time with the clock. That I can't tell time. This guy is truly clueless. That story is burning up at the Rebel right now. People are upset. Like, wait a minute. We flew you to Japan for what your office described as a working visit ahead of the G7. He had meetings with the emperor and the empress. He had meetings with the prime minister of Japan. He had meetings with Ottawa industry executives. All great. And then he's like, all right, guys, I'm out of here. A little more of liberals being entitled to their entitlements. Taking off a whole day, and that means his staff sits idle. His staff was flown there for a whole extra day so that he can sit around. They can sit around so that he can go and have a moment with his wife to celebrate his anniversary, which, by the way, is actually this Saturday. It's not today. It's not the 25th. It's the 28th, Saturday, after the G8's done. They'd be home by their anniversary, given the whole time zone difference and travel times. But we're paying for a nice little honeymoon-type getaway while they're in Japan. And look, I get that as Prime Minister, we are going to pay for any of their vacations. But he's already gone to Fogo Island for Easter. He's flown out to Whistler. Uh, They've done several trips to New York and Washington. Now he just needs a nice little downtime in, uh, in Japan on our dime while we pay for the staff to go there. By the way, other media defending this. They're complaining about how Stephen Harper was just a workaholic on these foreign trips, and, and, and you know, he would, just, he would just actually work. The prime minister would work. It's crazy, isn't it? But that's not the worst of it, okay? This is just yet another sign of Justin Trudeau's entitled mentality. And the fact that we pay for his vanity projects. Nobody else is talking about this yet, but I'm going to lay it out there. And shortly I'll have something up online for you to share. Because we are going to be paying big for Justin Trudeau to continue his other romance. Do you remember a little while ago he went down for the state dinner to Washington and the liberals couldn't stop bragging about their State dinner, and this is the first time since 1997 that 
a Canadian prime minister has had a state dinner. Uh-huh. And they took 44 people down. Not the natural resources minister who might have some big files to deal with with the Americans. No, he took his mother, his mother-in-law, the party president, Anna Ganey, the party bagman, Stephen Bronfman. They all got to go. The mother-in-law, but not key cabinet ministers. 44 people, it was a big expense, all so that Justin Trudeau could have a bromance with Barack Obama. Well, the cost of those 44 people going to Washington is going to pale in comparison to what we will be paying for come the end of June. A month from now, the House of Commons will have risen for the summer. The MPs will have all gone back to their ridings. They will have fled Ottawa. They will be on the barbecue circuit. They will be going to summer fairs. They will be going to all the places that they can find you, the voters. Well, the House is almost always gone by June 23rd, mostly so that Quebec MPs can be back for St. Jean-Baptiste. We know that. It's been standard practice probably forever, but for decades at least. The House doesn't sit in the summer. It's too hot in there. You, you fit 338 bodies into that room with no air conditioning in that old building in the swel- sweltering July months, and it's going to be pretty stinky. But on June 29th, just in time for the Three Amigos Summit, Parliament will be summoned back to Ottawa so that Barack Obama can deliver a speech to a joint session of Parliament. All the MPs who will have gone home more than a week earlier will be summoned back to Ottawa for Barack Obama's speech to the joint session of Parliament. All the MPs, all the senators, all the travel costs. I was looking at a story that showed the cost of recalling Australia's parliament recently for just two days, $1.4 million. I'm going to bet that the travel cost alone will be north of half a million dollars. Then there's the per diems. Of course, MPs have to eat while they're here. They've got to have a place to stay, so they've got to have a hotel. And many of them do stay in hotels. They don't have apartments. They don't have homes. They have hotels here. Be, they will be summoned back for one day to listen to a speech by an outgoing president that has no political life in, left in him. Obama's been here before. He hasn't addressed Parliament. He could have come while Parliament was sitting if he just wanted to do an address. Or Trudeau could have said, you know what, we'd love to have you address Parliament, but Parliament's not sitting and we're not going to call everyone back. Enrique Nieto, the Mexican president, he's going to be here. He will not be giving an address to Parliament. This is a man who's, unlike Obama, still has political life in him. He's got to sit out on the sidelines. But Obama gets to address Parliament. Why? It makes Justin Trudeau look good. The left-wing media in this country will fawn over Obama. There'll be more signs outside that cookie place in the Byward Market about how Obama visited here and bought a cookie eight years ago. And you and I are going to pay. Then there will be the receptions. My guess is this tally... To bring Parliament back and fet Barack Obama will be well over a million dollars that we didn't need to spend. When they invited him to speak to Parliament, he knew, he knew that Parliament would not be sitting, that the MPs would be gone home. The calendar is set a year in advance, at least. MPs are never sitting at the end of June in the 11 years I've been up there. In the 11 years I have been up there, it's happened once.
that I can recall, and that was in 2005, to pass the same-sex marriage legislation. They went home, they came back. Now we're doing it so that Obama, a lame duck president, can come and speak. Justin Trudeau can look good in the eyes of the left-wing media. They can fawn all over each other and continue their bromance. You are paying for Trudeau's vanity projects. Whether it's the bromance, the nice time off in Japan, the refugee rush to make himself look good, all of it. These are all vanity projects about Trudeau and his image. And you and I get to pay. We'll get Lowell Green's thoughts next. Your calls coming up after the news at the bottom of the hour. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Star 580 on Bell Mobility or email, email me, beyond the news at CFRA.com. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. We've been working extremely hard uh, today uh, and uh, we'll be at the G7 meetings uh, on Thursday and Friday. Uh, and uh, in, the, in the middle of all this, uh, I am taking a moment to uh, uh, celebrate on uh, personal funds, uh, my wedding anniversary with my wife. A moment. Lowell Green, go. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he's taking time off to celebrate the anniversary uh, with his wife. Uh, that, that, but, you know, my position on this is, hooray. I mean, one one day not on the job is one day this guy can't screw the country up anymore. The last time, <laughs> on, the, <laughs> the last time on the job, as far as I'm concerned, for this guy, the better off we all are here. But one of the things that, that I think is, it, it's almost ludicrous if it wasn't so damn dangerous for us, and that is that he's over there in Japan, ostensibly, He's trying to convince the Japanese to build more cars in Canada, which means essentially more cars in Ontario. We're the place where cars are being built or used to be. Yeah. Meantime, his dear friend, his huggy friend, Kathleen Wynne, is doing everything in her power to make sure that the cars we produce in Ontario we can't buy or drive here. She is bribing, and I use the word advisedly, bribing, uh, millionaires as much as $14,000 per car to buy cars not made in Ontario. I'm talking yeah. about her, her drive to force us all to buy electric vehicles. I mean, M- Most normal people cannot afford, they, they can't justify the cost of getting an electric vehicle. It's three times as much, even on the cheap ones. No, but the point is, is that, the, that there are almost, there's only one small plant that is making uh, plug-in cars, and that, that's uh, the hybrid car. So, uh, uh, in other words, nobody in Ontario, save one small producer, is making electric cars. So when she bribes people to, you know, as much as $14,000 per car to buy an electric car, she is bribing people in Ontario to buy cars made elsewhere. Tesla is made what? In California. Am I not correct on yeah. that? Yeah. So, I mean, this is crazy. So there, there, there is Trudeau over in Japan, build more cars in Ontario. Wynn is saying, no, 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 I want you to buy cars. We're going to bribe you to buy cars made in California. Me- I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, and meanwhile, the Japanese are major importers of energy because they don't have their own energy supply. So they're the world's biggest importer of liquefied natural gas. Uh, there is a push to get a liquefied natural gas port on the B.C. coast. Trudeau won't push for that. He won't even try and sell the Japanese on on buying 
our, our natural gas or our oil. Uh, very true. By the way, I must congratulate you people and, and Rebel. You have a beautiful billboard. Uh, Ezra Levant, our good friend Ezra Levant, has sent me a picture of the billboard, which you people from Rebel yeah. have posted just outside the Montreal City Hall. It welcomes and, Denny Coderre to work every day. <laughs> in, in French, and it's very well done. It shows two huge sewage pipes pumping, obviously, raw sewage into the St. Lawrence River. And it says in French, quote, Sorry, Alberta, Dennis Cordaire prefers sewer pipes to oil pipes, but keeps sending those equalization payments <laughs> right across from Montreal City it's, it's the it, it's, it's a new design, and I really like this one. It's That's the good. second time we've, uh, we've put a billboard up outside of there because the, Denny Coderre, uh, after being quiet for a little while, came out against pipelines yeah. yet again. But, you know, he does like the equalization payments, and he says don't connect them. Yeah, not only that, but they, they killed, as you know, a, uh, a plant just outside Quebec City, a refinery, because they said it might endanger the beluga whales. Meantime, he has pumped, what is it, 5 billion liters of raw, raw sewage. sewage into the river to flow right past the beluga whales. Well, the hypocrisy it, is astounding. It really is. Lowell, before we're out of time, let me ask you about yeah. uh, this news that I was breaking this morning, describing Trudeau's latest vanity project. The MPs are all going to be gone home. Yeah. And, and yet he invites his good friend, his bromance buddy, Barack Obama, to speak. MPs are complaining to me about the cost of this, and they're saying, you know, they can't really speak up or they will be... You know, anti-American, anti-Obama, partisan, blah, blah, blah. So they've got to show up, and it's going to cost all of us. There's no reason for Obama to be speaking to Parliament. Yeah, uh, I understand your point. I think we have to be careful in all the criticism that we launch at Trudeau. Um, that's, that's my feeling. If all we're doing is just complaining, complaining, that it's going to lose the effectiveness when the guy really screws up. I mean, there are so many things that he is doing, that his government is doing, that are very dangerous and costly for this country, that, you know, the lost millionaire... I mean, you're absolutely right. I'm not denying that, Brian. I'm simply saying that, that maybe we should uh, target some of the more egregious actions that he and his government carry. Well, to, to me, it's part of a pattern of, yes, it is. of uh, he, his own vanity. By the way, um, in regards the, the cost of running the country, I've done some figuring. My wife and I put our heads together here. We figure, and I think this is fairly accurate, that it would cost this family here out near Carp about $4,000 more a year to switch from natural gas to electric keeping in mind that we are under Ontario Hydro and pay already about 30% more for hydro than you people in Ottawa do. But um, our figure here is that if 4, we 4,000. About 4,000. I mean, we, we heat with gas. I have a, a pool that we heat with gas. My water heater is gas. The only thing electric here, the, the, the washers and dryers and the stove, and I'm thinking very seriously well. of converting the stove to gas. But I mean, this is something else. You've got to do it, Lowell, to save the planet. You've got to do it to save the planet. Yeah, the only the thing beluga is, whales. All, all it takes is one forest fire someplace to negate <laughs> all of our efforts to abate our carbon you, emissions. You're talking about Fort Mac, that big fire spewing out all the carbon? Over 10% of all emissions in Canada from that one forest fire, and there's nothing we can do. 
that that's that's one of the real disturbing wow. aspects of all of we, this. We could have accepted the foreign help. Thanks, Lowell. Good morning. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Five to one talk. Five to one eight two five five. Star five eighty on Bell Mobility. Back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk five eighty CFRA. Five to one talk. Five to one eight two five five star five eighty. If you want to join the conversation, email is beyond the news at cfra.com. And Larry emails in an interesting thought. He says this day off does one thing. It takes the media away from Trudeau's bad diplomatic day yesterday. He said it would be a standard feel-good bunch of meetings with close pals. The Japanese PM, who evidently doesn't have a work-life balance, had a serious agenda. Where is Canada on TPP? Well, I'll fill you in on that in a moment, Larry. <clears throat> but then he, uh, Larry continues. What? That calls for a decision by uh, PMJT. But just grin as usual. And then his 30-minute meetings with Japanese automakers looking for investment. Oops, again, he didn't know that auto industry in Ontario is being screwed by his pal Wynn. Surprise, Trudeau was told politely in Japanese style, no intention of further investment in Canada for the foreseeable future. Where is the talk about that? Well, we don't really know what went on in the meetings. That might be part of it, although I'm sure some in the business press would be able to dig into this and and find out. Renee writes, perhaps Trudeau needs time off because he can't handle the job in any sustained manner. But he did say that there was a lot of pressure in his job, which he kind of used as, as an excuse to justify losing it in the House the other day. From my point of view, he hasn't had any pressure yet. What will he do? When there's real pressure, it's tough to have pressure when you're constantly doing vacations. It's tough to have pressure when you are flying off to Whistler to just do a little bit of snowboarding. I want to mention another story that I heard in the news. This violence at the Donald Trump rally yesterday. Was it Nevada it happened in? It was in the Southwest. There was violence at a Trump rally, and you know that it's going to be the Trump supporters that are described as violent. You know that it's going to be the Donald Trump backers that are described as the yahoos and the people that um, uh, can't be trusted. And yet, who is it? It's left-wing protesters. Do we have that audio clip, Dave? Let's play a little bit of this and, and realize that it's not Donald Trump supporters that are engaging in violence and stomping on police cars. These are people opposed to him. Inside Albuquerque's convention center, it was Trump being Trump. How old is this kid? Still wearing diapers. Even as he was interrupted several times by protesters. He can't get a date, so he's doing this instead. Come on. But outside, things were chaotic, even dangerous. Stop throwing stuff. Demonstrators broke down barricades, shattered a door, and stomped on police cruisers. This is a peaceful rally. Several officers were injured from flying rocks and bottles in what the Albuquerque PD is calling a riot. Trump's next stop is in Anaheim, California. Last time he was there, things turned violent as well. That was ABC's Brad Melke. Now... Why the violence? Because these people can't stand democracy. Donald Trump is getting the Republican nomination 
by going small town to small town, big city to big city, state to state, and getting people to back him. He's not being handed it. He's not buying it. In fact, he's spent less than the other guys did that he have since dropped out of the Republican race. But they don't want Trump to win. So they're going to use their far left wing Saul Alinsky tactics and try and disrupt him, try and engage in violence. Then they can claim police brutality. They can claim that Trump is the problem. They can claim that blah, 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 blah. This is the goal. Have violence associated with Trump. Try and shut it down. Pure left-wing tactics. We saw it every time George Bush came to town. I was speaking about Obama coming to speak to Parliament earlier. When Obama shows up, where are the violent protests? Where are the people dropping their pants on Parliament Hill? I unfortunately witnessed that once at a anti-Bush rally here. The left can't stand that right-wingers exist. The left can't stand that conservatives exist. The left can't stand anybody that they don't view as on their side showing up. So Bush would show up in Ottawa. Bush would show up in Quebec City. Bush would show up at Montebello. There'd be riots. There'd be protests. There'd be violence. In fact, I covered violence associated with George Bush at every single one of those places I just mentioned. Obama shows up, no violence. Donald Trump shows up to speak to his own people. There's violence, but again, not from his people and not from the police. When protesters are stomping on cars, that's the protesters. That's not the police. And I have been to enough protests violent riots to know that when these sorts of things happen, it's not the police starting it. It's not the police getting everything going. It's always the protesters. Absolutely, I've seen police behave badly. But in these large-scale events, it is always the protesters. The Quebec City riots uh, outside of the Summit of the Americas the big trade deal meeting back in 2000, 2001. I think that was just months before 9-11 because security became much different after that. A small group of protesters standing outside the fenced area that was blocking them off from 34 heads of state or heads of government. 34 world leaders from across the Americas gathered in one place Small group of peaceful protesters, all of a sudden the drums start, the marching start, the chanting start. Within 15 minutes, the fence was down. Why? Because the protesters turned violent. They claimed it was the police, and yet there I was, standing at the front of it. And the first projectile to go across came from the protesters. The first canister of uh, tear gas came from the protesters. And then they took down the fence, and that's when the police responded. I'm going to bet it's much the same at these Trump rallies. And yet it'll be Donald Trump who gets the bad portrayal in the media. Do you have thoughts on any of this? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. You want to email me? It's beyondthenews at CFRA.com. I'm Brian Lilly. Back in moments. 
This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Give it to me, I'm worth it. You got to be careful with the Twitter machine. You got to make sure that you know what you're tweeting out. Apparently, Danny Coderre tweeted out his own phone number and then quickly deleted it. Not before people were catching it. So, um, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe Mr. Coderre, who enjoys seeing our billboard at the rebel.media or from the rebel.media each and every morning when he shows up at City Hall, maybe he'll be getting a, a new cell phone number shortly. <laughs> Uh, Chris writes in to correct me. It was not Nevada. It was New Mexico. Thank you, Chris. Uh, and um, I just want to bring this up. The the issue of how the left takes hold of public consultations. Governments love to consult, but they don't actually often consult with average Canadians. Not because they don't try, but because that's not who participates. I always encourage people to participate in public consultations because otherwise it's just the activists that are showing up. What am I talking about here? Everything from the budget to trade deals to pipelines. Many of you in this audience support the idea of the Energy East pipeline. It will run through parts of Ottawa or at least skirt along the bottom of the city. But would you go out to a public consultation meeting on it? Would you show up and give your two cents? Would you make comments online? Because I'll tell you, the other side is organized and they want to shut it down and they will show up. They will make sure that their voices are heard. On the West Coast right now, they've given tentative approval to the Kinder Morgan Pipeline, the National Energy Board. But Cabinet has not said yes. And there's a good chance that under Justin Trudeau, that Cabinet will say no. Well, there's a group called Georgia Strait that is trying to make sure that Kinder Morgan does not happen. The Georgia Strait Alliance, caring for our coastal waters. They don't think that that pipeline should exist. They don't want the tanker traffic. Tankers have been going in and out of there for more than 50 years, there's no incidents. There's no damage done. Occasionally you have to look at a tanker while you're at the beach. Boo-hoo. But they're organized. They are planning a Mob the Mic event to make sure that their voice is the dominant one. From their statement, they say, we are coordinating with our allies to make sure every public meeting is filled to the rafters and the online comments are filled w- flooded with concerned residents speaking up for the coast, climate, and communities. You can stop Kinder Morgan, it says. The federal government will hold open public meetings along the pipeline and tanker route from June till October, and we need you to be there. Sign up below and we will uh, keep you in the loop as public meetings are announced and make sure you have all the information you need to take part. Together we will stop this pipeline once and for all, reads the email that they sent out. Where, where's the, the coordination 
from those that believe in sanity. Well, it doesn't exist. And so when these public consultations take place, that's who shows up, the organized left. And they're constantly organizing. I love Oscar Wilde's line about the problem with socialism. It's that you never have a free night. These people live, breathe, and sleep their issues. Right now, Christian Freeland, the international trade minister, is holding public consultations on the Trans-Pacific Partnership. This is the trade deal that was struck with uh, the United States, Japan, Vietnam, Brunei, Australia, many other countries. 40% of global trade would take place within this trading block if the deal goes through. Christian Freeland is out consulting on it because that's what liberals do. But it's interesting where she's consulting. So far, 10 universities. She's about to go to the 10th. That's Concordia. She's spoken to four boards of trade, one of which was Los Angeles. Not exactly a Canadian business group. So three Canadian business groups, 10 universities, the Laborers International Union, the Building Trades Union, both of which are headquartered in Washington, D.C., and that's where she spoke to at least one of them. The Council of Canadians. She's consulting every left-wing group on this trade deal. I'm sure that you could show up to the public meetings at these universities, but they're not really holding them for you. They don't want you to show up. What they want is for all the radicals to show up. When you go to a place like Concordia University, it's one of the most radical campuses in the country. We need to start organizing for sanity. We need to start organizing to have regular views put out there. Ian calling in from Osgood about Trudeau. Ian, you're on Beyond the News. Yeah, I just wanted to make a quick call about uh, Prime Minister Zoolander. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> well, Blue Steel helped him win the election, didn't it? Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to say, uh, I, I don't know if you recall me calling in about Forgotten Rebels, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. there's actually a song that you could play on the radio. Uh, pro- <laughs> probably not from them. No, no uh, he's in love with the system. There's no swear words. <laughs> okay. Ser- seriously, and that's about... Justin, like, uh, he's just loving it and living the life, and we're paying for it. And it's getting tiring. Ian, as, as both a music fan and a, uh, a person that uh, you, you seem to like, uh, I don't know if you would describe yourself as a conservative, but you listen here and you seem to like uh, some politicians that speak common sense. Can you, a couple people told me I shouldn't have been playing Gord Downey and the Tragically Hip yesterday because he signed the Leap Manifesto and he's really left-wing in his politics. Do you separate a person, an artist, and their politics? Because I have to tell you, if I didn't, I don't know that I'd have many movies to watch or or songs to listen to. It's all about common sense. You can watch uh, Train Spotting and take what, what, what you want from it. Uh, I love the hip. I know Gord Downey. Um... You, you can like another person and have differing uh, opinions. Well, <laughs> that seems that tends to be the way I go as well. Thanks for the call, Ian. Okay. Have a good day, Brian. You too.
When we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, Stephen Harper and his move on to new and hopefully better things other than being a backbench MP for Calgary Heritage. That's the name of his writing now. Uh, interesting reports out on what Stephen Harper is going to be doing. We'll check in on that and take more of your calls. 521-TALK, 521-8255. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at facebook.com slash 580 CFRA. Stephen Harper leaving the House of Commons in the fall. Before Parliament comes back in September, he will step down as MP. These are what the stories are telling us now. Uh, Bob Fife in the Globe and Mail reporting that Stephen Harper will set up a foreign policy think tank type institute. He's going to take some of his staffers, former staffers with him. People like Ray Novak, Jeremy Hunt. I don't know Ray Novak all that well. Uh, Did not have many dealings with Ray. Ray liked to stay in the background. But by all accounts, a smart man, well-liked. I know his name came up at the Duffy trial. Apparently mine did, too. I didn't realize that. I wasn't in court that day. Um, also, Jeremy Hunt. Uh, Jeremy is one of the um, the people that I do know and um, good counsel for Stephen Harper. What do you think of Stephen Harper stepping down? It'll be slightly less than a year since he lost power when... Uh, If he waits until September, Parliament comes back well after Labor Day. If he waits until uh, the the summer, it'll be close to a year. And then he decides, okay, it's time to move on. Apparently what he will be doing is former policy uh, director Rachel Curran said, once Mr. Harper leaves politics, he'll want to champion global free trade, building on a success, negotiating deals with South Korea, the European Union, as well as the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Here's the quote. He spent tremendous time and energy really concluding these trade agreements and opening up trade corridors. He uh, has got a a really recognized expertise and a lot of respect internationally in terms of his kind of knowledge. She said Mr. Harper will also want to promote his geopolitical thinking, whether it's on human rights, the promotion of democracy, or standing up to authoritarian regimes. I remember when Stephen Harper was elected, the... One thing that nobody gave him credit for were his foreign policy chops, mainly because, quite frankly, nobody knew if he had any. He had not traveled widely. He'd, uh, I think, been to Europe once. He traveled throughout the United States and Canada, but he hadn't traveled a lot overseas. Now I would say that Stephen Harper's strength was the foreign policy file, the way he stood up to Vladimir Putin, the way he uh, handled the trade deals. People will forget, as Justin Trudeau goes around talking about China being his favorite dictatorship, that when the Harper government first took, took power, there were several, several fronts where he showed strength and determination. First off, Hamas was elected uh, in the 
Palestinian territories. A named terrorist group was elected. Canada was a funder of the Palestinian Authority. We withdrew all funding for the areas controlled by Hamas. Why? Because we weren't going to fund a terrorist group, even if this was the side that was on, uh, on the um, dealing with humanitarian issues. We were not going to fund that. Instead, the money went to humanitarian groups like the Red Cross, Red Crescent Societies. That was a bold decision. Canada was the first government to do that. He stood up on the issue of a Canadian, who's still in jail to this day. He stood up to the Chinese for Mr. Salil, arguing that this man should have been released. Remember, he was at a foreign um, conference, might have been the G20, and he stood outside the washroom because he wanted a buttonhole the Chinese president. That was the only place he could get him. So he heard he was in the washroom. He went and he stood outside, waited for him to come out, and told him what he thought. If you remember, that's when he he got bashed for that in the Canadian media. Oh, standing outside the washroom. Uh, that's called standing up for your citizens. On issues like Iran, he stood tall, he stood firm. I'd like to ask your thoughts on Stephen Harper. 521 Talk, 521 star 580 on Bell Mobility. He'll be giving a speech at the Conservative Convention tomorrow. I'll bring you portions of that speech Friday when I'm broadcasting live from the Conservative Convention floor. It'll be quiet that day. I'll be in there at 7 a.m. Vancouver time, so I'm going to need lots of help from you and lots of calls and lots of love because it's going to be very lonely inside the convention center. But I'll bring you Stephen Harper's speech. What I'd like to know from you, though, is what stands out the most for you for Stephen Harper as he gets set to leave? What stands out for you as his biggest strength, his greatest accomplishment? What will Canada miss out on? Or what is it that we, you know, we don't acknowledge him for yet? Your thoughts on Stephen Harper? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Danny is calling in from Columbia once again. Hello, Danny. Yeah, it's Donnie. Donnie, Donnie. Donnie. My apologies, Donnie. Hi, Brian. Uh, as you probably know, three weeks ago, there was a World Conference in London, England, concerning government corruption. The theme of the conference was anti-corruption, and many world leaders attended. A lot of, of course, a lot of Latin American and African leaders. But you know what, Brian? I didn't notice the presence of ex-liberal Ontario Premier Brian McGinney or the present Liberal Premier, Kathleen Wynne. They should have attended because nobody has gone to jail, Brian, <laughs> over the last eight years, and the hundreds of millions of dollars have never been accounted for. And that's where Ontario right now is broke along with their health system. Brian, why hasn't the OPP police done their investigation? Is they getting to Columbia? Are their leaders corrupt too? People were charged for eliminating all the computer files in order to cover up the, the various scandals about a year ago, and nothing's happened. Well, uh, and, and, and the, the one... Oh, just one last thing for you, give your opinion. Catherine Wynne, can you remember during yep. the World Environment, uh, Environment Conference in France, where the uh, oh, King Trudeau was over there? 
She used her money to fly back and forth from Toronto to France about three different times in 10 days. Ryan, what's your opinion? Well, uh, I absolutely think uh, Kathleen Wynne is corrupt. I think she should have been charged in the um, the bribery of uh, uh, Andrew uh, Olivier up in Sudbury. But the, the one person that was charged in that bribery, they, they stayed the charges. So she she's a bit of a Teflon. Let me ask you before I let you go, Donnie, your thoughts on Stephen Harper. He's stepping down. What what was his strength? What was the best thing he brought to Canada as a leader? Oh, listen, you know, nine years under the leadership of Brian, of, uh, of Stephen Harper was just wonderful. I mean, down even down here in Columbia, they wondered, where's Stephen Harper? Why didn't he win? You know, and uh, he was so respected, this guy. I met him years ago in Parliament Hill, and what a great person. I mean, he had scruples. Uh, you know, he was honest. And this was the big difference. Uh, uh, you know, he knew how to talk to Canadian people. The only difference was he was an introvert, while this other clown is an, is an extrovert. But Stephen Harper, I mean, there's no comparison. This guy's dragging my country down the drain. Well, thanks for listening all the way in Columbia, Donnie. Uh, you're breaking up a little bit, so we'll let you go. Thanks a lot. Let's go to Tim in Renfrew. And if you want to join the conversation, you have thoughts on Stephen Harper. It's 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Stephen Harper reportedly stepping down before Parliament resumes in the fall. Tim, your thoughts on Stephen Harper? Uh, Well, he was uh, definitely a good prime minister in my eyes. Uh, Probably one of the best things he did was getting us through the uh, economic meltdown, pretty much unscathed as a country. But the best thing that he ever did, the thing that's dearest to my heart, is he got rid of the most wastefulest government program ever, and that was the long gun registry. Oh, there was nothing wasteful about the long gun registry, Tim. I mean, look, Alan Rock told us it would only cost $2 million and it cost $2 billion. What What's wasteful there? Uh, well, the <laughs> fact that it didn't, for, for that kind of money, it didn't save one single uh, life. And I'm glad to see that this week some of the police, retired police officers in Montreal are coming forward to say, hey, you guys are just going to waste more money on this. Yeah, well, they're bringing it back in Quebec, even though uh, I can show through statistics that it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference at all. Uh, Quebec has a similar murder rate because they always say it's about saving lives and stopping murders and so on. Uh, Quebec has a similar murder rate to Vermont. And what most Canadians don't realize is Vermont is the freest state in the Union when it comes to guns. It is the easiest place to get a gun in the entire United States of America. And they they don't have gun problems. It's right next door to Quebec, and they have a similar murder rate to Quebec, which has some of the – it makes it more difficult to get a gun. Uh, Let me ask you quickly about – you mentioned the the 2008 world financial meltdown, Tim – can you imagine what it would have been like if Stefan Dion or Michael Ignatieff or Jack Layton or these other leaders had been in charge? I criticized uh, Harper for spending too much money at the time and the bailouts, but those guys were saying, you're not spending enough. Yeah, well, uh, I, I think it would we'd be somewhere around where Greece is right now. Uh, we'd, yeah, or at least heading that way. Thanks for the call, Tim. Yeah. Do you have thoughts on Stephen Harper? Reports are he is stepping down. He will not return to Parliament when it resumes in the fall. Uh, 
Could he make the announcement at the conservative convention tomorrow night? We'll have to wait and see. I'll be there. We'll bring you the news, of course. But he is um, he's reportedly stepping down and will start a foreign policy institute to promote his thinking on global ideas. What are your thoughts on Harper? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Stephen Harper. He will address the conservative convention tomorrow. At some point, he will make an announcement about stepping down. I'm told he's not giving media interviews. Um... So these reports are not coming from Stephen Harper, but from Close Confidence, who I'm guessing we're told, go out and spread the word. Go forth and spread the word. But what do you think of Stephen Harper? What, what is your takeaway from his time as leader of this country? What was his biggest achievement or his best trait? I honestly think it's keeping Canada in good standing on the international stage. I know Justin Trudeau likes to say, Canada's back. I know the media likes to echo him, well, on pretty much everything, but on this, Canada's back, we're on the foreign stage again, we're on the world stage, we're great, yeah. No, Stephen Harper stood firm on the national stage. Stephen Harper was well-respected on the international stage. What are your thoughts? 521-TALK, 521-8255, or star 580 on Bell Mobility. Greg and Russell, you're on Beyond the News. Sorry, Brian, there I had to turn off my speakerphone. Hello? Hello. Ah, yes. Uh, My thoughts on Harper is, I'll tell you one thing, the man worked like a dog for this country. Uh, After 150-something days in office, how many days off did he take? Uh, He did not uh, take vacations as often as this current guy, did he? No, and... um, uh, he stood up, he said what was on his mind. I mean, he worked and worked. In 40 years, I'd like to see who's thought of what. My personal opinion, and this may sound bad, is I don't think that Mao Zay Trudeau is fit to lick Stephen Harper's boots, honestly. Uh, the temper tantrums and that. It's gonna I, I don't know why you're apologizing for uh, putting Mao and Trudeau in the same sentence. I mean, he <laughs> well, admires China's basic dictatorship. Well, yes. Well, that's well the way how he acts. I mean, off with their heads. Um, no, uh, Harper, he worked for this country, and uh, he, he said what was on his mind, and he worked and worked for us. And, yes, uh, with the we're back in the world stage, well, if we're giving rock concerts, I guess we are. But uh, he worked, and he didn't take the—he wasn't a um, go out and, oh, look, publicity. He, he, Harper wasn't that guy. All right. Thanks for the call. Uh, well, one more yep. thing. I don't know if you just heard, apparently, did you hear Kathleen Wynne that they're putting out new Ontario license plates? Uh, no. Uh, they're changing the, you know, uh, Ontario, yours to uh, discover. Okay. Where's well, this going? Ones, it's uh, yours to recover. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, bye. All right. Let's go to uh, Jer in Ottawa. Jer, you're on Beyond the News. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Doing well. Where? What are your thoughts on Stephen Harper? What's his legacy? Well, I always thought that Stephen Harper 
I didn't think he was perfect. He did a lot of things that upset me, like running a deficit. Definitely did not take on my fancy. Uh, but you know what? The honest truth is, is that I really felt like the guy had Canada and everybody that resided here's best interest at heart. And, you know, and you're right. Like, yes, he stood up to Putin. He stood up to uh, the Chinese president. Uh, whether or not you agree, something I always said in the Army and we always said is that we had more respect for someone that took a side and stuck with it than someone that sat in the fence and waited to see who's when before they joined the side. Good point. Jared, thanks for the call. Love you on the Rebel, Brian. I share everything you got on Facebook. Thank you very much. That's all I can ask for. Cheyenne in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Hey, Brian. Hi. Uh, my thoughts on Stephen uh, would be, uh, I think his face would be on the $20 bill whenever the Queen eventually dies. Oh, you don't, whenever, you, you don't whenever, want Chucky there? Yeah. Whenever he was Prime Minister, I had more 20s in my bank account, so I would, he would remind me of him every time. <laughs> That's a good point. Hey, he, you know, people people forget the uh, the money that we got back in in terms of of tax cuts from the GST cut. He did lower uh, the personal income tax rate. There uh, were absolutely that's it, what stands out in my mind was uh, the GST, especially going down two percent. And I've never seen a politician do that. All right, excellent. Thanks for the call, Cheyenne. Thanks. Uh, do we have time for one more? Yay or nay? Yeah. Okay. Let's go to John in Lunenburg. John, you're on Beyond the News. Thank you. Good morning, there, Brian. I have some uh, comments there about uh, former Prime Minister uh, Stephen Harper. I'm, as I'm concerned, he was the best Prime Minister we've had in an awful long time. You take a look at his accomplishments and how he took the uh, devastated PC party that the Moronianites had devastated, brought him back informed government within a few years. Now, that's literally a miracle, what happened. All the work they did in the justice file, unfortunately, the the other side there uh, undermined him every step of the way. Uh, he rebuilt the military. He, uh, you've talked about finances. Well, do you know that the governor of the Bank of England said that the Harper-Flaherty team were the ones that kept the world going from financial meltdown back in 2008? They, they they were leading international meetings and committees. Right. Mark Carney was part of that. It's it, it doesn't get recognized because hey, Canada's back. You know, and on the national scene, uh, separation was at its lowest popularity level when uh, Stephen was prime minister. He was able to work with the uh, you know Quebec government. Of course, it did cost us a lot of money, but he kept them happy, and they weren't threatening to leave. And, you know, he went across the country helping people wherever he could. So it's too bad the people went for the other side, you know, the the cosmetics and the false promises, which they now know is false, like the Albertans did. But they're stuck with it for another, you know, three years. So, you know, I just uh, wish him all the best in his, you know, post-political life and know that it's going to be an awful long time before we have someone who does to Canada as much benefit as... uh, as he did, and, uh, you know, as he used to end up with his statements, I say, you know, God bless Stephen Harper. All right. Thanks for the call, John. Thanks. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on Newstalk 580 CFRA. Warren Cancelo will join us for a few minutes when we come back. Right now, let's check in with the news department. Some days, the resistance verges on rebellion. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Newstalk 580 CFRA.
I'm loving the poll uh, at the website, warrenkinsella.com. He's got it on his Twitter feed as well. Warren's poll is, Stephen Harper is resigning, and then you get to vote one of four options. Good riddance, sad to see him go, 10 years is a good run, he never elbowed a girl. Warren Kinsella joins me now. <laughs> what are your thoughts on uh, on Stephen Harper? As as my favorite liberal, what's your thoughts on Stephen Harper's uh, run as prime minister and time in politics? I think he did an okay job, and he didn't wreck the place, which is all that we can ask of them. You know, and guys like me, as you know, and I think I'd, I've done it on your show many times. You know, he's going to get rid of gay marriage, and he's going to get rid of abortion, and he's going to do this and that and the other thing. All the other predictions and prognostications of progressives that's a lot of peas and uh he didn't you know he uh held the country together uh we didn't have he uh, he he helped uh with the demise of separatism just by not getting in quebec's business yeah so we didn't have a referendum when he was there we did as we all know have uh some military engagements but those were necessary and i think liberals supported him on that so i would say Stephen Harper was a good prime minister. Uh, he made some mistakes, as they all do. But I would say probably about a year from now, some people may be back, looking back even wistfully on the guy saying, you know, he wasn't that bad. <laughs> I think that he, I think history will be kind to him. Yeah, and he, uh, you know, I mean, he, did he make any big mistakes? I, I think his greatest achievement was bringing together the warring forces of the right, uh, when he brought together the Reform Party and the Conservative Party. Um, that was a huge political achievement. The biggest political mistake he made, obviously, was underestimating Justin Trudeau. I think he felt that he could win against this kid in 2015, and obviously uh, that was a miscalculation. But otherwise, on the policy front, you know, he was a free trader. Uh, he didn't radically change the way we operate or conduct business as a country. And, uh, you know, we were, apart from that period when there was the global crash, we've been relatively prosperous when he was there. So, and, again, and I, I think his strength was actually uh, foreign policy. And, and the word is he's going to start some kind of institute focused on global affairs. Uh, but for a man that came into office without an awful lot of travel under his belt, uh, which is neither here nor there, people didn't know, you know, where does he stand on foreign policy? But from the the decision to drop funding for Hamas when a terrorist group was elected to to, to head up the Gaza Strip to uh, standing up to Tehran, standing with Israel, uh, our stance at the United Nations, all of that, I, I think he did a, a fantastic job on the foreign affairs file. The only mistakes I would say he made, I would agree, I would agree with you. The only mistakes I would say he made, you know, the loss of the Security Council seat, which should have been ours. Um, was a big come down. I think that was a big shock for a lot of people. Uh, being outside kind of the global consensus on the environmental front, we can debate that. He probably, it hurt, my view has always been, it hurt Keystone. The reason why Keystone didn't uh, get approved by Obama is, uh, you know, Harper was seen within the United States as kind of outside the well, consensus. I, the I actually agree with Nahid Nenshi on this one. And you know that I wouldn't agree with uh, the liberal mayor of Calgary all that often. He stood at Ottawa City Hall with your old college buddy, Jim Watson, and he stood in front of the U.S. ambassador and called him out and said, we know that you uh, denied Keystone because it stops your biggest competitor. 
Yeah, no, never, never sure. heard a politician say that. Now, speaking of your old college buddies, speaking with Warren Kinsella, and uh, you can vote on his poll at warrenkinsella.com, uh, I mentioned that your old college buddy is Jim Watson, mayor of Ottawa, right? Yes, sir. You, you, Jim Watson, used to hang out with another guy who's pretty famous in Canadian politics right now, and you got a picture of you touching <laughs> his famous arm. So I, I want to talk to you about music and politics in a minute, but I have to ask you about you touching Gord Brown. You, you guys all went to Carleton together, didn't we you? We did. I, I've Bob seen Richardson, the famous photo. Jim Vill- James Villeneuve is the consul general in L.A., uh, Jim Watson and Gordy Brown and go, we were all best friends in the university and hung out together and still kind of look out for each other, notwithstanding, you know, having different political stripes. So last night, Gordy was in town for a fundraiser for Steve Clark, a fine MPP from Eastern Ontario. And afterwards uh, we decided to get together for dinner. And I said, dude, you gotta let me touch the arm. And he's like, Oh, come on. Come on. And he's like, you're, you don't be an idiot. I said, dude, you've got the most famous arm in Canadian history. The manhandled the arm. arm. That's the manhandled arm. So I touched the manhandled arm. I said, you could use this for fundraising purposes. Let people charge, touch your arm for like a hundred bucks a pop or something. You know. <laughs> so, but what what was his take? I mean, did he did he give you any insight on what happened with uh, the incident last week? He I, did. I, 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 I just hate that it was described as elbow gate because that's the incidental. Um, side of things, you know. I, I fine. Justin Trudeau didn't mean to uh, elbow Ruth Ellen Brasso, but the Prime Minister clearly meant to grab Gord Brown and drag him up to his seat. Yeah. So what Gord said to me, and he's been smart. You know, unlike the NDP, he and Rona Ambrose and Andrew Shear have laid low, and I give them credit. They haven't added to the hysteria around this thing. They've just kind of kept their cool and refused to go on, you know, various shows and crank it up. I think that's been smart. What he told me, I said to him, why didn't you cross over the other side? When the NDP was blocking you as they were, including Ruth Allen Brousseau, why didn't you cross over the other side? And he said, well, you're not allowed to. And he said, you know, the ancient parliamentary tradition is you have to stay on your side of the house unless you were, in fact, crossing to the other side of the house. So I said, oh, that's very interesting. So what Trudeau did, just by getting out of his seat and crossing over, he broke the rules. And he said, yeah. Um, The second thing was, uh, he said, you know, what Trudeau did, we didn't, he didn't even need to do it. He said, you know, I'm a pretty big guy. And I was Christofferson and Brousseau and Mulcair and all these guys were in my way. But he said, I was already halfway through them. And he said, you know, when he came over to me and grabbed me, I was, he was like, Prime Minister, what are you doing? Let me go. What are you doing? Uh, my theory is, and I tried this one out on Gordy, and you know he didn't know. I don't think Trudeau lost his cool. I think Trudeau, as you and I have talked about many times, is always keenly aware of the visual, you know, the big picture, the image. Mm-hmm. And I think he was looking for a picture showing him solving this logjam in the uh, House of Commons. And instead, it kind of blew up in his face. No, you look at the way he walks across with such purpose. I think that he was seriously annoyed that he was delayed by a whole 46 seconds. It's hard to tell with this guy. I mean, he really is. You know, he was a drama teacher. He's he's a very effective actor, as so many politicians have been, effective politicians have been. I can't tell if he really was angry or not, but it would have been a hell of a great photo, right? If he was, you know, rescuing Gordy Brown and, you know, bringing the issue to a vote. But the thing I don't understand, Brian, about the vote is what was the hellfire rush? 
you know, the Carter decision was already being applied by physicians across the country, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, they were applying the euthanasia decision that the Supreme Court had made. Secondly, the thing was dead as a doornail in the Senate anyhow. There were not enough votes to support it. So, you know, what Justin Trudeau did, what Dominic LeBlanc did and, and Andrew Leslie, the liberal whip, I don't understand why they got into that kind of fight because – legislation was never going to happen anyway yeah and if they'd been open look there's there's mps on all sides of this issue in all parties there's liberals that say it's a flawed bill it's got to be fixed they could have just worked with the other mps mps know that this has to go through whether they support it or not work with them and make a bill that will stand and and instead in their arrogance they've Decided not to. Listen, let's talk quickly about music and politics. I, I had some flack from people yesterday saying, oh, you know, you can't play uh, the Tragically Hip because uh, Gordy Brown is, uh, Gordy Brown, Gord Downey. <laughs> Gordy Brown's a big lefty, newsflash. <laughs> Gord Downey, you know, you signed the Leap Manifesto and all this. You know, I, I set aside politics when I'm trying to enjoy music or a movie. As a conservative, I wouldn't have an awful lot to watch if that's how I did things. But you wrote yesterday very, very eloquently about how music actually brings people together, and you have, you've had more fun with music than politics. Yeah, it brings joy to people, and it, you know, it, it connects them to a previous point in their life. You know, like Bowie said, and I wrote about, life really is short. Life really is fleeting. And the loss of all these various guys in the past year, whether it's Prince or Bowie or, you know, the news, sad news about Greg Ward Downey, you know, it's it really affects us personally, because not just the music, but the role that these musicians played in our lives. And, um, you know, it's sad and it kind of reminds us that our time here is kind of short. So, you know, I wish him and uh, his family the best. It is just a hell of a terrible prognosis. But uh, I think the best way people can celebrate him and his music is to go out and see them on tour. They're kicking off in B.C. in a few weeks and, uh, you know, clap along and sing along. All right, Warren, great talking as always. Thanks, my friend. All right, if you want to see that picture, check out warrenkinsella.com. He's touching the famous Gord Brown arm. Vote now, vote off on my (laughs) poll. (laughs) So you're encouraging people to vote Chicago style on your poll? (laughs) Of course, I'm a liberal. What do you think? Warren Kinsella, warrenkinsella.com. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. To you, he's rebellious. To official Ottawa, he's disdainfully insubordinate. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Stephen Harper stepping down as an MP. Of course, he lost the position of prime minister last fall in the election, but he's stepping down as an MP. Chris writes in, like him or hate him, you always knew what you were going to get. A level-headed prime minister who had all Canadians in mind. You would never see him placate to a demographic like our current clown, even though Canada is not a world powerhouse. You knew Stephen Harper would stand up for our principles and not make us look uh, stupid. He didn't suck up to the United Nations. The whole thing about the U.N. and the Security Council seat, the biggest voting bloc 
at the UN now is the Organization of the Islamic Conference, which doesn't like people that stand or countries that stand with Israel. Uh, Greg writes in, while you're at the conservative convention, could you please ask anyone, even the former PM, about his enormous environmental religious scam called global warming climate change? It's such a huge economically devastating uh, snake oil fraud that's going to kill our economy. I keep talking about it, uh, Greg. I keep pointing things out, but people seem to want to go with it. Uh, Wendy writes in, Stephen Harper Pros, excellent ethics, very pro-Canadian, helped make Canada affordable, tried to position Canada well for the future. Stephen Harper Cons, gave in too much to the media public opinion, should have uh, stood up to the media like Donald Trump, uh, ran too much up, uh, uh, ran up too much of a national debt in the first two terms, tried to buy support, and wouldn't open debate on conservative values like pro-life. There's some thoughts. You want to email me? Beyond the news at CFRA.com. Michelle in Ottawa is calling in with thoughts on Stephen Harper. Oh, I have to call in because what a gem we had. Prime Minister Harper was just such a man with uh, integrity and he was honorable and he was intelligent. I just felt so protected on all fronts with him at the helm. And um, what's so very sad about it is, is that we never really got a chance to give him a real send off and, and really let him know how proud we were of, uh, you know, his time there. Not only him, but his family. I'm I'm thinking that he's speaking tomorrow at the Conservative Convention. I'm thinking this news was leaked out to the Globe and Mail on purpose so that people would hear about it, people would talk about it, and he will get a big send-off from the Conservative Party tomorrow. Now I wish I had bought a ticket for Vancouver and I was going because... uh, because I most certainly would have loved to just to shake in his hand and told him thank you, and I appreciate it. Not only him, again, his wife. When Calgary had the flood, she showed up there, and she just stood at a lineup in, in like a conveyor while they were emptying out somebody's house with all their possessions, and she just, there was no fanfare, there was no media, there was no hairdresser, it wasn't all about her. And if this prime minister that we have now is a representation of our values and culture to come how much i mourn what we had there's no clips of mr harper yelling out you're a piece of there's no uh clips of mr harper telling somebody to get the out of the way it's just unbelievable what for what a head of hair and this self-entitled it's just so sad a few weeks ago i had called and said we should have a big tent revival just to teach our kids that that your boss isn't uh, entitled to pay for your your in-laws vacation and your mother's vacation <laughs> and you know what laugh but this is just the beginning and we've got four years of this somehow this we should just put it in a column and remind people about really what you voted for and why, because we were such a country to be proud of. And now now people talk about how bad Harper is. I'm still waiting for the tell-all books. Like, really, what was the horror behind the man? I saw something that I'm really, really longing for, a, a real leader, a real man of integrity and class, and I wish that you would pass that on. All and right. um, if I ever win the lottery, my bucket list is to have dinner with him and his wife <laughs> and you guys. So. I, I, I don't think you need to win the lottery for that. They're, oh, no, because I would have a party. <laughs> they're, 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 not, they're not fancy people. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Michelle. Thank you. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Every revolution starts with a rebel. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. So, 
At City Hall right now, they're debating something called the Blue Dot Movement. And should Ottawa join the Blue Dot Movement? What's the Blue Dot Movement? Well, it's from David Suzuki, so it's got to be good. Councillor Chernyshenko wants us to join the Blue Dot Movement. And on their website, it says, We have a plan to create lasting change for generations. Here's how. Across the country, Canadians believe in our right to a healthy environment, clean air and water, safe food, a stable climate, and say and to say in decisions that affect our health and well-being. One by one, people like you stand up and say this right should be recognized and protected. What happens if we go this route? I mean, who's going to stand against this idea other than me? I don't know anyone that actually doesn't want clean air, clean water, and so on. But what happens if you say to someone... You have a right to a clean environment. Uh, First off, that's what I would describe as a positive right. Therefore, not a right that I actually believe in or agree with. In my view, rights are to protect us from government. It's to stop the government from infringing on your freedom. Those are real rights. Freedom of speech. The government cannot say, you're not allowed to say that. Freedom of association. You can hang with whoever you want to. Uh, Freedom of religion or conscience. The government can't tell you what to believe. These are real rights. The kind that we have been promoting and protecting for generations in Canada. But there has long been a push by the left to have positive rights added. And that's what this comes down to. So what happens if everyone just says, oh, yeah, of course, of course, I believe in a right to a clean environment. Okay, so you've added this positive right, which means the government must provide something to you. The government must take action for you. How many lawsuits are going to be launched? How many lawsuits will be launched saying, You cannot build this. You cannot do that. You cannot widen this road. They were just talking today about widening the 417. Do you think that'll be subject to a lawsuit because that will infringe on somebody else's right to a clean environment? What about the pipelines? Energy East. You can't have Energy East come through. You can't reverse line nine. That would infringe on my right to a clean environment. The Blue Dot Movement will just sound like it is a, a nice thing to go along with. The Blue Dot Movement will make it seem like everything's just hunky-dory. But we just want a clean environment. Of course, everybody does. But that's not the goal here. The goal is to enshrine this as a right. And whether it ends up in the Charter or not, and of course we know the Charter is virtually impossible to change or alter in any way except what the nine judges that sit in that Supreme Court building decide to add into it. But if city after city does this, then eventually what will happen is it will start to be recognized in jurisprudence, and eventually the Supreme Court will rule in this direction because they are our better-thans, they are forward-thinking, social progressive beings, And they believe that their job is to rule on social policy. So eventually this will be added. And that's when the lawsuits will start. That's when this will be used, this idea that we all have a right to a clean environment, this will be used to shut down 
any development or any job creating activities. You want to turn your land into a subdivision for all the new people? Oh, no, you can't do that. That infringes on my right to a clean environment. That infringes on my right to clean water. Council needs to think carefully about these sorts of things before they go along with this plan. And I'd like to know how the debate is shaping. I'd like to know how the debate is taking place. Because my guess is that no one will want to speak out on this. My guess is that no one will want to say, hold on a minute. Do we really want to go that route? Instead, they will just read David Suzuki's website about how this growing movement of people calls upon their local communities to pass municipal declarations respecting people's right to live in a healthy environment. Of course, none of this will limit David Suzuki and his activities. As he lectures all of us, he continues to travel at an incredible, play, uh, incredible pace. Just got uh, a notice this morning that he's traveling to, uh, is it Vail or Aspen in Colorado? But he's going to Colorado to speak about climate change. This man flies more than pilots. Anyways, that's part of what is going on down at Ottawa City Hall right now. We'll try and get you an update on, on to that. Think about it and think about calling your counselor and just gently saying, yeah, of course we want a of course we want a, a clean environment, but let's think this through. Next steps, next logical steps. And unfortunately, that's what people all too often do not do is consider what is the next step? Where will this logically take us? If you think that David Suzuki just wants the city of Ottawa or the city of Brockville or Cornwall or any of these other municipalities to pass a simple resolution and it doesn't mean anything and it won't lead to anything, think again. This is part of their wider plan, their bigger goal to change how our laws operate, to change how rights are determined so that they can shut down development. And you have to wonder what David Suzuki's end goal is, because, you know, just thinking, when, when I say he wants to shut down development, this is a man that thinks the farming practices they use in Cuba are what we should be using and operating here in this country. That's right. Forget a combine, forget a tractor, get a horse, get a plow, because, hey, it's organic. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Insurgent, believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the news with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Well, we heard a liberal's thoughts on uh, on Stephen Harper stepping down as an MP because that's uh, the reports. He will step down before the House of Commons resumes. Uh, right now, though, I want to turn to a conservative, Monty Salberg, a man who was. Therefore, the unification of the parties was also serving in uh, Stephen Harper's cabinet uh, until he stepped down as an MP. It was 2008, wasn't it, Monty? 
That's right, 2008. Okay. Uh, first off, welcome to the program, and, and I need you to vote on Warren Kinsella's Twitter poll, uh, and he's he's asking, what are your thoughts? Is it good riddance? Sad to see him go. Ten years is a good run, or he never elbowed a girl. <laughs> well, I'm a... <laughs> I'm a Stephen Harper fan, just so <laughs> just so we know. I won't damn him with uh, faint praise by saying he never upload a girl. Uh, I think he had a I think he had a great run, and um, he'll be I think remembered fondly by by historians. Phil is in on what Stephen Harper's like is as a person. Uh, I I know one side of him from covering him from afar, and then you get to know him a little bit better doing one on one interviews, and even. Uh, you know, just being in town, bumped into him at a few social occasions, and and he has different sides. W- what's your experience with Stephen Harper from you know, knowing him from back in the day, as the kids say? Well, he's a complex man. Um, he's very private. Uh, he prefers to be alone. He loves to be reading and writing and thinking about uh, about issues. He's uh, managed to uh, become quite good at, you know, working a room and that kind of thing. Uh, it's not natural that, to him, though. <laughs> no, it's not. He's very much an introvert. But, uh, you know, I think one of the uh, things that really stands out about him, if you spend much time with him at all, is, the, uh, is uh, his intellect. He's a very smart guy. And he's a thoughtful guy. He, you know, he, he's, he seldom will make a snap judgment about things. Uh, he, he likes to ruminate on things, and when he does that, he he doesn't just sort of make a decision for the moment. Of course, he has a plan uh, for uh, the days and weeks and months ahead, uh, which is, I think, the thing that really sets him apart. He he did he, he became quite an able strategist uh, while he was a prime minister and a leader, and uh, that served him very well, and especially well during that first minority game. He brought together warring factions. Now, you were elected as uh, a reform MP, then a Canadian Alliance. Then you were part of the, oh, what 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 was it called now? The Democratic Caucus, DRC, yeah, well, the Democratic yeah. Republican Korean Caucus. Uh, <laughs> how was he able to bring the warring factions together? Because some people are saying, I think his, his greatest strength was showing us as a prime minister is strong stand on foreign policy and some others are saying no without him uniting the parties he wouldn't have gotten there yeah well i mean what what uh gave him the power especially when you're in opposition to bring people together was his competence um you know when you're an opposition leader uh a lot of people inside politics will tell you the worst job in politics is to be the leader of the opposition because you have no real power over your MPs, you you know you can't deny them a cabinet seat. You can strip them of you know maybe sitting on a committee, but they're not necessarily disappointed about that. So it's it really is a, a difficult position. But what one thing that will rally people around you is if you have a proven record of success. You know if you uh, get up in the house and you're good and you give good interviews and. Uh, all of a sudden, you start to climb in the polls, which was the case for Stephen Harper. All of a sudden, um, you know, you have a new authority and uh, you're able to persuade people uh, much better than you could if you, you know, if you're if you're not doing those things. So that's really, I think, the basis uh, for his uh, ability to pull people together uh, back when the parties did come together. Now, I know he's got a fantastic sense of humor because he's used it to mock me. 
Uh, <laughs> but that's a side that the, the, the public didn't see enough of. Right. Tell me about his, his impersonations. Did, did he do them often? He, he'd never, I've heard about them, you know, apparently a great yeah. Cretchen, a great John McCallum, uh, Joe Clark. Did he do them often? Well, not often, but every once in a while, uh, you know, there'd be a lighter moment in the cabinet. Usually, you know, when people are still filing in the room and uh, he would be talking about what someone had done in the news that day. And then, you know, maybe all of a sudden, very spontaneously, he would break into an impersonation. And he's he was very good. He was quite talented. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, you're right. It's something he didn't show very often, but it was only something he was comfortable showing uh, in front of people he actually knew. And I think that's the that's probably what held him back a fair bit. Plus, he, I think he was he was repulsed. Uh, I don't think that's too strong a word by kind of the uh, the. Uh, I don't know, the sort of the entertainment side of politics or what has become the entertainment side of politics. I'm not saying he wasn't above it because he did go and do his his thing with the band, although I think he did it somewhat reluctantly toward the end. But he uh, he didn't like it. And uh, he I think he felt that it was cheap. And, um, you know, so he was reluctant to do that. He except for, you know, to to entertain his friends. Yeah. I want to ask you finally on foreign affairs, because you were in that first cabinet that, in my view, took so many of the stands that uh, shaped Canada's different path on foreign affairs. Uh, just Hamas getting elected, and, and people forget that. You know, a terrorist group elected to run the Gaza Strip, and Canada was the first country out there saying, all right, your funding's gone. Uh, yeah. did, did it shock you how strong he was on foreign affairs as, as a leader? Yeah, I'll be honest, it did shock me. Not, I mean, in a good way. I was surprised in a good way because, uh, you know, it's so easy to just do the old go-along-to-get-along approach that Canada is known for and uh, that we've reverted back to, sadly. Uh, but, uh, you know, he decided that he was going to set Canada apart in that way. And in doing that, you know, I think did uh, uh, that will be part of his legacy. I mean, he made a, a friend out of Israel for the rest of his life, there's no there's no question about that, and I think the people of Israel appreciated that. But it but it was more than that. You know, we were the pointy end of the sword um, very often in Afghanistan at a time when NATO was starting. I will say to fray quite a bit. Uh, you know, countries that had agreed to jump in if uh, uh, if one of their members were attacked, all of a sudden, you know, started to uh, disappear and you know, would only serve sort of at the back end of the of the uh, of the operation in Afghanistan. But Canada was there. And I think that was that was important uh, when it came to ensuring that NATO still had some some credibility. And of course, that's very much an issue today, even with Russia pushing into uh, parts of Eastern Europe. So, you know, I think that's an important thing. But Brian, if I if I can, you didn't ask me about this, but I will say I think okay. one of the more important parts of his legacy is the transformation he helped uh, um, he helped Canada go through with respect to the economy. And, uh, you know, if you look at the free trade arrangements, you look at how he got rid of the Canadian wheat board, you look at the lowering of corporate taxes and uh, personal taxes, uh, the lowest level since the Diefenbaker era, that was, I think, instrumental in helping Canada survive this recession that we've gone through and, and allowed us to 
do much better than almost any other country. The number of jobs that came back, that's a very important legacy. And some of that will be undone by by Prime Minister Trudeau, but not all of it. Uh, they're not going to reverse those trade deals. I can tell you that. So, so uh, you know that will be part of his enduring his enduring legacy. All right, Monty Thalberg, thanks uh, thanks for your time. Are you going to be out at the convention this weekend? I'll be there, Brian. Looking forward to seeing you if you're going to be there. Uh, Yeah, we will see. I'll be broadcasting from an empty uh, convention room uh, early on Friday morning, but we'll see you around (laughs) for sure. Sounds good, uh, Brian. Take care. Monty Solberg, uh, former cabinet minister in the uh, in the Harper government. Of course, he's didn't even mention his new gig, News Hub Nation. It's a news aggregator website. You can check him out there. I'm Brian Lilly. Back in moments. On the news with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Penguins take the puck back for that round. Crosby with the puck comes in, shoots and scores. Sidney Crosby walks around the defense and beats Vasilevsky and Jonah needs a donut. Up ahead to Russ on a breakaway. Russ coming to the net, makes a backhand move and he goes to the forehead and beats Vasilevsky. And the Penguins lead 4 to 2. It's time to buy new shoes. Lovejoy. Gives the puck to Benito. Open net. He has all day. What's he going to do with it? Shoots it towards a goal. And he finishes it. Put it in and tickled the twine. And ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has just left the building. All right. Here to tickle your twine, Dean Brown, play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Senators. Hello, Dean. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm actually, uh, I've heard that one before from Mike Lang. And, uh, I've been to many games in Pittsburgh. I have to tell people I've never seen Elvis. So that might just be a line. That, is, is he having his on? I think so. Oh, man. I've, never, I've been there many times. Never seen Elvis. <laughs> never seen Elvis. <laughs> but you have seen Sidney Crosby and uh, he and the Penguins. 5-2 last night over the Lightning. And mm-hmm. uh, it's all tied up at three. Yep. They, uh, Pittsburgh played a really strong game last night. And uh, lots of times... You know, if you're trying to break things down, some some things kind of really show themselves and some things are more subtle. It really wasn't that subtle last night. If you just look at the shot count, uh, you can tell that uh, Pittsburgh spent a lot more time in Tampa's end than Tampa spent in theirs. And, you know, generally in, in hockey in general, that's never a good thing. And in playoff hockey, that can be deadly. And even though uh, Tampa made a good comeback at the end, really they were fighting uphill the whole night and uh, that was a solid win for Pittsburgh. So it tied at three, comes down to one game. Yeah, it's amazing sometimes these uh, best-of-seven series, uh, it just it will come down to the, the last period. It, it's what it comes down to at the end. You Everyone struggles through. It's tied at the end, and it, it really does become a, a coin toss. Yeah, it really does. And you know what? It's, it's, it's funny when, you know, <clears throat> and it's human nature, you want to look at a, a game and think that it has implications on other games, you know. But if you look at this series, it, it's kind of uh, – it's kind of the, the the case study in in just looking at it at one game as an individual event, because if you watch this series in the games that Pittsburgh has won, they look like the dominant team. And if you just watch that game, you know you would think that this would be an easy series for Pittsburgh to win. If you look at the games that Tampa has won, they have been the dominant team. It wasn't you know, it, you know they were the dominant team, and you would think this would be an easy series for them to win. And but but here we are now going into a seventh game when each team has won. They have been very good. And so that's why you're right. You know, if I'm 
if I'm sitting here and somebody's asking me to handicap Game 7 between these two teams, it, it really is a coin toss. I can't see any common thread that runs through all of the games in this series that leads me to believe that you can accurately predict which team is the better of the two teams. Because when each team has won a game in this series, they have clearly been the better of the two teams. There have been no fluke wins in this series. All right, so the whole thing has to be wrapped up by Friday because mm-hmm. the, the Sharks and the Blues are tied 3-2 in the mm-hmm. series. Their Game 7, if they get there, will be Friday night. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're going to get uh, to Game 7? Where is it going to go tonight? Wouldn't wouldn't surprise wouldn't surprise me, but uh, I, I can you know, it that series in in many ways is very similar to uh, to Tampa and, and Pittsburgh in that I don't think anybody would be shocked if there's a game seven. I don't think anybody would be shocked if it's over tonight. I, I think one of the things that certainly has to happen for St. Louis is they have to get you know a bit better luck. You know, and luck is part of it too. Luck, you know, people I, I realize everybody wants to treat hockey like it's a science experiment, and if you do X, the result is always Y. And we all know one of the great reasons why sports is so in, in exhilarating to watch and, and listen and, and, and go see is the literal unpredictability of it. And uh, I, I think... Well, what, what's, the, what's the term? Any given Sunday? Yeah. Right? yeah. In, in this, it happens to be any given day. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, and I don't think there's any question that, you know, whatever cliche you want to use, but I don't think that St. Louis over the course of this series has had a great deal of puck luck. And part of that you can put down to the fact, and we've talked about this before, you and I, that I think overall uh, I would say that San Jose has a higher skill level amongst its skill players who are generally accepted to be the ones who have to generate the offense on that team. I think they have overall as a group a higher skill level than St. Louis, but St. Louis has had their chances and in many cases just been unlucky. Uh, but that is that is part of winning in professional sports. Sometimes you just have to have that mojo and the luck on your side. Well, if San Jose wins, and uh, you, you know how good my predictions are here, and I think they will, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it'll be tonight or Game 7, but I think they're going through. It will be their first ever first, uh, playoff or um, Stanley Cup final berth, isn't it? Yep. yep. So, that, I mean, that's huge for any club. For sure. For sure. And, and you know, what? especially for San Jose because, you know, they've been a team that, that experts have predicted, you know, for the last five or six years to be a Stanley Cup caliber team. And they have disappointed so many times. And there's been so much talk over the last several years about breaking that team up and then just giving up on that team and trying to move in a different direction because it's just a group of guys that can't get it done. There's been a huge amount of pressure on, on Patrick Marlowe and Joe Thornton as excellent regular season players who just cannot raise their game and lead a team in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, you know, on a whole bunch of different levels. This would be a huge thing for that team just to get to the final and would exercise a lot of demons and get a lot of critics off a lot of people's backs. Winning it would do even more for that. To be honest with you, winning would, would assure Joe Thornton a spot in the Hall of Fame if he isn't already a guy who's going to be a, a pretty automatic Hall of Famer just because of the kind of career he's had. But there's always going to be people like me who say that, you know, he's had a career as a very, very good player, but I'm not sure that, you know, I would say he's a Hall of Famer. Now, that's based on the fact that there's a lot of people in the Hall of Fame who have lesser stats than him. And my point is just because others have been mistakenly put in the Hall of Fame doesn't mean you compound it by putting oh, more players in. Sounding like a purist. Sounding yeah, like a well, purist. No, all, all I'm saying. I, I like it, though. Yeah, yeah. All, all I'm saying is I'm sure he's going to go into the Hall of Fame. And I'm just right now, unless he wins the Stanley Cup, I'm not sure that he should based on everything people have said about him. But, you know, that's 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 the fun of sports also. You can have an opinion, and it might not be the same as everybody else's, but, you know, it, 
they're never they're, they don't, they never need to be proven. You know, that's that's the fun <laughs> of the debate. Let's uh, I, and and I'm sure when uh, when the time comes to be plenty of debate, let let's turn to the senators a little bit. You were talking about. You know, San Jose, and do they break down the team, rebuild it? Of course, uh, GM Pierre Dorian and uh, new coach Guy Boucher trying to remake the Senators. Uh, mm-hmm. Patrick uh, Weirkosh, or Weirkosh, I always mispronounce that, uh, still talk of him leaving. Uh, who else are you hearing might be shuffled out, shuffled in? Well, I haven't heard a whole lot about what the plans might be because, to be honest with you, I think there's a lot of flex going on right now with Ottawa and a lot of other teams for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, the draft is coming up, and so you look at what you're going to be getting and what deals you might be able to pull off at the draft. And then free agency starts July 1st. And the mix this year um, that kind of twists things around a little bit or could potentially is that teams have to start planning for an expansion draft. The league hasn't officially announced any expansion to Las Vegas or anywhere else. And if there is going to be expansion, is it going to be one franchise or two? But I think everyone now, at least the the guys on teams that I know about, are all preparing for what they believe will be an expansion announcement, which means there'll be an expansion draft, which means every team will be in a situation where they may lose players in the expansion draft. So there's a set of expansion protection criteria. And so teams are going to start trying to maneuver themselves to get uh, as much of a protected roster as they can. And that could involve trading away players to basically try and protect others. So there's going to be a whole bunch of different, you know, parts of molding your team right now that might not normally be in existence. So, uh, Ottawa, like every other team, has some ideas of what they'd like to do and guys that they would like to retain. But there's a situation, I think, for Ottawa where you might want to retain a guy that you don't have long-term plans for, but you might be wanting to keep him so you can make him available for the expansion draft to avoid losing a player you want to keep. <laughs> I mean, so, that, that, if and it's still an if there's an expansion. We're yeah. talking the 2017-2018 season. So you're hanging on to players... That for something that you don't know is going to happen, that won't happen for another year or so, but I guess you'd lose them in next year sometime? Yes, you would. So that's that's the thing. Uh, It's it's a two-part answer to that question. It hasn't been announced, but almost, well, every NHL team that I know of believes it will happen. So they're planning for it to happen. Number one and number two, even though play would not start until the year after, the expansion draft would happen before that, obviously, so you could stock that team so they could prepare themselves for that season. So um, teams, teams now, good teams, thinking teams, even though it's technically going to be a year out, you do have to, if you can, try to protect as much as you can on your roster so you don't, you know, or at least limit the amount of damage to losing a key asset going forward. And so, like I said, for some teams, that may entail hanging on to a player or re-signing a player, even though you might not have a long-term need or want for him, but he would give you the opportunity to protect others on your roster. So it's just, it's one of the other kind of, you know, little little deals that uh, managers and assistant managers and capologists on every team have to try and deal with and prepare their team as best they can for that eventuality. Let me ask you, um, so everyone you're talking to says yes to expansion. Yes, Is it just do. Las Vegas? Is it... Quebec City still in the running? I mean, I, I know Brian Mulroney, who heads up the, the company that would essentially be running the team, if not the, the arena they're playing in. Um, mm-hmm. He's saying, look, that the dollar is just hurting this. Are they considering any Canadian markets? 
Well, I think there's consideration of a bunch of things, but I think because uh, of where the dollar sits right now and so much of the revenue for the NHL actually is is driven out of Canada and all the salaries and costs in the NHL are valued in American dollars, no matter where your franchise is geographically, the dollar plays a huge part, number one. Number two, uh, from what I keep hearing, most people expect that the expansion will be one team and that one team will be Las Vegas, at least to begin with. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't solve the league's problem that they have you know eventually want to address, which is going to be having you know two conferences of equal number of teams, and so one more team would give this league uh, you know an, an odd number of teams. So you have to think there's going to be another expansion. There are some who believe, and I don't know because I'm not in the governor's meetings. There are some who believe that Quebec will not be an expansion franchise, but there may well be a franchise there that the league may be kind of saving that market for relocation. If they are forced to relocate a franchise from somewhere else, that uh, Quebec City would be the landing spot. Uh, Now, I don't know if that's true or not. There are so many rumors in our business that swirl around this topic. Um, But I have a feeling that at some point there will be a franchise in Quebec City, but I'm not entirely certain that it would be an expansion franchise. Uh, One thing that uh, I'm pretty sure we can all agree on, Jim Balsillie will not be part. Yeah. of any expansion. Yeah. I think his odds might be low. Yeah, same with Hamilton's, unfortunately. Uh, Dean, great talking to you as always. Thanks, my friend. All right, we'll talk to you Friday. All right. Uh, don't forget, Dr. Barry Dworkin coming up at 1 o'clock. But up next, uh, Rabbi Haim Mendelssohn. Nice little event going on in the uh, west end of Ottawa. He'll be on to explain why. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. I was just watching the most incredible story on CTV News Channel just now. Did you know they have an all-you-can-eat KFC buffet in Weyburn, Saskatchewan? Now, I'll tell you more about it later on because I'm obsessed with fried chicken of all kinds. How did I not know this? How did I not know that there was an all-you-can-eat fried chicken buffet in Canada? Apparently, it's the last one in North America. And, yeah. Anyway, more on that later. Right now, I want to bring on my friend, uh, Rabbi Haim Mendelssohn. He is with uh, the Centerpoint Chabad. And tomorrow, they're holding a, a the Great Jewish Family Festival. And you're inviting the whole community out, uh, aren't you, Rabbi? Yes, we are, and thank you, Brian, for having me on the program. Oh, always a pleasure. So when I see the Great Jewish Family Festival, I think, well, I'm not Jewish, so why would I go? Well, you know what? This family festival is an opportunity for us to be able to uh, educate the community and allow the community to learn about some of the the warm and uh, meaningful and uh, and and really deep lessons within cultural Judaism. And, and, and Chabad is all about reaching out, right? That, that... Absolutely, absolutely. Chabad, for those who don't know, is the largest network of Jewish outreach community centers, uh, reaches out predominantly to the Jewish community, but it always looks for opportunities to be able to educate, to be able to teach, because Judaism is so layered and so rich with meaning. Uh, its values are so universal that really everyone can, can learn and grow uh, from some of these opportunities. So what is, uh, what is the festival all about? First off, it's going to be... Uh, at the Soloway JCC, is that where it's happening? That's right. It's at the uh, the Soloway Jewish Community Center. In fact, the, uh, which the event... is uh, on Nad 
Nadolny Sachs Nadolny Private. Nadolny Sachs Private. It's right off of right off of uh, Carling Avenue and Broadview, in between in between Maitland and Woodruff. Um, it's the it's the big. Most people know where it is. It's the big Jewish community center. In fact, this this program is being done in conjunction and in partnership with the Soloway Jewish Community Center. We've done this, Brian, for now. This will be our our 14th annual Lagba Omer Festival. Except that this year we're adding a completely new dimension. Uh, we're doing a parade. Uh, now these parades within the within the Jewish community for Lagba Omer are ordinarily done in some of the very big cities, New York and and Toronto and and Montreal and and Jerusalem, uh, Chicago. Some of the very big Jewish communities have it here in Ottawa. Where we only have uh, you know twelve to fifteen thousand Jews, uh, this will be the very first time we're doing such a thing, and we're very excited about it. We have uh, we have floats, Jewish themed floats, but again, each one of these floats will contain a universal message that everyone could learn from and grow from. We have a marching band coming. We have uh, we have all sorts of exciting and unique vehicles, and one of the things I'm most excited about. Because, as you know, uh, I uh, served uh, for a number of years in the uh, in the Canadian Armed Forces, and that's something yep. I, I wear with with pride. And so we're 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 using this opportunity to be able to honor all of our first responders. And we so have, you've got the RCMP and Ottawa Police and the paramedics and fire and everybody out. Everyone is coming. Everyone is going to be represented, and this will be a, a great opportunity to be able to pay tribute to their uh, selflessness right. and courage. So that's the parade at 6.30. You've got an acrobat show from 6 until 6.30, uh, but, you know, what's really going to get people with kids out is you've got fair rides. Oh, that's right, and that starts at 4 o'clock. So at 4 o'clock we start with the fair rides. We have a big barbecue. We have carnival games. We have all sorts of inflatable, uh, inflatable jumping castles. We have, uh, we have face painting and, and pony rides and really a, a, a whole eclectic array of exciting activities to keep children and adults entertained. Hey, when children are entertained, adults have a moment of peace. That's right. right? That's right. Now, listen, <laughs> listen. After hearing you, I, I know that you told me that you're out of town tomorrow, but yeah. I, you may change your plans because after hearing that, that KFC intro, with our barbecue, I'm telling you, it, it's virtually an all-you-can-eat, and, and, and kosher hot dogs and burgers, there's just nothing like it. Oh, kosher dogs are amazing, but the, is, there, <laughs> is, is there such a thing as kosher fried chicken? Absolutely. i got to have that then. Absolutely. My gosh. Okay, when I come back, I'm coming to see you. We're having some kosher fried chicken. And maybe we'll include that in next year's Log Bomer. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Rabbi Haim Mendelson, he's with uh, Chabad Centerpoint, and if you want to find out more, uh, HabadCenterpoint.com is the website, or just go out tomorrow. Uh, the Soloway JCC, everyone's welcome, Rabbi? Everyone is welcome. 4 o'clock, the fair ride starts, 6.30, the parade. Go have fun. Great talking to you, Chaim. Thank you so much, Brian. It was a pleasure. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, the doctor in the house. <laughs>